The late Warren Bennis, a leadership guru having written 27 books, was asked about the difference between a manager and a leader. He replied that managers do things right, but leaders do the right thing. Today, in these challenging times, most leaders don't realize how critical central emotions are to building the right culture. They focus on building a logic-based culture with shared intellectual values. And this is very, very important, of course. But what's right for today is to build an emotional culture which impacts on how people feel about themselves and the work they do. A culture that attracts and retains top talent. Now, to speak on this timely subject, I am so excited to have Josie Monberg as my guest today in this podcast. Josie makes her magic happen at SAP as head of brand, community, and culture strategy for SAP's global value advisory team. She's an emotional person and used to think of emotions as a weakness in business. However, now she sees emotions as a competitive differentiator. Her mission is to enable businesses to lead with emotion to create business outcomes. I personally add to her list of credentials, knowing her as well as I do, by saying that Josie is a key influencer and a change catalyst as she unleashes greatness in people. She brings positivity into this corporate world so needed today. I'm going to ask Josie to share her perspectives and best practices for building an emotional culture and one that fosters not only business and employee growth, but where leaders inspire with the right energy by doing the right things. Welcome, Josie. How are you? First of all, Ross, thank you so much for this excellent introduction. I need you around every time I'm introduced, but I'm doing great. (laughs) I'm very excited to be on your podcast, and I can only say likewise. I know that you've trained several people at SAP, and it's always led to really great outcomes. So thank you for that, and thank you for having me. My pleasure. Curious to know, number one, where did your passion for leading with emotion originate from? Mm. I think it's actually been a passion that's always been inherently within me. I've always been incredibly curious about people since I was little. I think this is something that I got from my mom, who used to be a prosecutor for the police and would always ask 40 million questions to get to solve the mystery at hand. And I think that's sort of also the way that I see people is like these mysteries or like movies that you get to meet them at a certain place in their life where you understand that part of the movie. But before that, there's all of this blank black space where you don't know what happened or what made them who they are today. And all of that stuff essentially is filled with emotions, whether it be from childhood or from past experience with relationships or other jobs, but essentially it is what creates and makes those people who they are. And therefore I think that I've always been excited about emotions and the power that it plays. But like you said in your introduction, when I was at, My first company, I think I sort of saw it as a weakness because I think that's what we've trained people to believe. But what I've come to realize through working now in corporate world for quite a few years is that it's inevitable. Emotions are part of who we are. It's part of our physiological setup. It's part of just being people. And we actually base most of our decisions, whether we like it or not, on emotions. And it's also what 
in my belief, drive business outcome. So it comes from my curiosity about people, understanding people better, what makes us tick. And to me, that answer always comes down to emotions and especially emotional needs that we all strive for. That's so true. Curious though, why do you think businesses don't talk enough about emotions today? I think it sort of comes back to also what you said in the introduction, which is that businesses like numbers and believe the numbers are always based on logical decisions, right? Like that's why we have KPIs, key performance indicator. That's why we're measured by how much sales we drive or how much revenue we're making as a company. And it makes complete sense because that's how you conceive you're successful or not, right? The proof is in the numbers. What we don't look so much at is what actually drives those numbers. Of course, we look at it in terms of, okay, if you have high performance, you probably have a business that's making more money. But what I'd argue today is that we need to take it a step back and look again at the intrinsic motivation that a lot of people have to to deliver a better business outcome, which again, to me, is based a lot on emotion. But the hard thing about emotion is that you can't really measure it. It's like a feeling. Mm -hmm. I have meetings with a lot of people and very often they say to me after the meeting, I feel so energized talking to you. Well, how do I measure that? How do I go to my boss and I say, well, I made 10 people today or whatever the numbers feel energized. And that energy that they got probably made our meeting maybe five times better. It probably gave us more innovative ideas during the call. We probably were more creative. That person was probably also nicer to their peers afterwards. And that person probably felt more psychologically safe. So that person probably also took more chances and came up with something new that generated more business outcome. I can't measure it. And therefore, we don't talk so much about it. And also, going back to what you mentioned before, we think that feelings make us weak, especially in business. And it's been traditionally sort of a, oh, let's not talk about that. Let's not talk about our feelings because we're supposed to be these logical creatures, right? We're supposed to do everything based on being logical. And it makes us look more weak if we admit to the fact that feelings play a huge role. So for those two reasons, one, they can be measured. And two, traditionally businesses, I think, associated with being more weak. It's a catch-22 because especially when you think about the power of emotion, it's contagious. That's why you uplift other people. And if you're just matter of fact and and sharing great ideas, I don't think it really resonates with people. I also feel from my experience as an executive coach, very often it's perceived as vulnerability and you don't want to be vulnerable. Yet I, I feel today we want to see leaders as real human beings. Yeah, 100%. And there's a woman called Brené Brown, who's a psychologist. She actually did her PhD on, the, on vulnerability and what it truly means. And she talks a lot about that be, the ability to be vulnerable actually shows from her studies that those are the people who are also the most courageous people. Because when you are okay with showing your flawed sites, the sites that you know you can get judged for, but you're okay with the outcome of that. You're okay with getting judged because you are so confident in yourself. To her, that's courage and that's also vulnerability. So I think, again, we look at vulnerability as a negative thing, 
But in my opinion, and it's not just my opinion, also Brené Brown's opinion, it's actually something that shows a lot of courage. And I think that's what we need in today's business and with today's leaders is, is a lot of courage. And I believe we want to see the authenticity in our leaders. So showing vulnerability, showing emotion, um, being able to fess up that I don't know everything today is really so, I feel, admirable for the leaders that are successful. Let me ask you this question. How is happiness connected to this whole mindset of showing vulnerability and showing your emotions? Well, it was a great question. So there's actually a study that was done by Harvard Business School where they surveyed or followed, I think it was around 700 people over an extended period of time. And their quest was to find out what makes happiness. And while they discovered that, of course, happiness also comes from success or accomplishment and other aspects, they found that the biggest source of happiness comes from the quality of our relationships. So what does that mean? Well, that means that are we able to connect with people? And you cannot connect with people if you cannot show vulnerability. We as humans connect through vulnerability. And that's why also going back to your question about authenticity, I think a lot of people are looking for authentic leadership because essentially they're looking for connection. And you want to follow people that you connect with because you trust those people. And so if you're able to be authentic, create a human connection through vulnerability, because they go hand in hand, you are essentially able to make better relationships, right? Like heighten or create stronger quality relationships with your employees, and you're going to make them happier. And something else that's interesting in this equation is that studies also show that your brain actually functions 31% better if you're happy. Or there is a direct correlation between being vulnerable, being authentic, creating higher quality connections and relationships with your employees, making them happier, and hence having people that have brains that just function better, who can generate more business outcome for a company. And a lot of that with the happiness, I always say that it's an inside job. You can't make me happy, but I do believe something you said is so critical and it's the core of what makes people happy. It's about relationships. And sometimes Josie, I, I feel that we don't invest enough time in meaningful relationships. We just think connections like on LinkedIn are, are friendships or relationships. And to me, it's like just contact, but working at investing in, in meeting people and learning about them it is so critical. It's so, so critical. So happiness in your mind is expanding your relationships. Is there anything else that's a good component? To creating a good emotional culture. I think something that I preach a lot about that I also try to teach to my team members, I lead a team of about 11 very young people, is don't lead with what you can get out of a person in terms of the business outcome that they can generate for you. Lead with the emotion that you believe this person would like to attain. So what I mean by that is, for example, if you're hiring someone, it's a new hire. That person is probably a little bit 
nervous because it's a new job. They're maybe a little bit insecure. And the feeling that they are chasing in that state of their career or that stage of the, of the job is wanting to feel safe, right? You want to feel like you are safe in the job, that you have psychological safety, that the people around you appreciate you, that you can navigate in this maybe overwhelming new world that you're suddenly stepping into. I see that with every single person that I hire. And so what I, for example, do with the people that I hire is that I make such a conscious effort to make them feel safe. Because I know that if I'm able to make them feel that way, they will perform better. But I don't take them in and throw a bunch of stuff in their face and be like, here's all the stuff you're, you're going to do because they're going to get overwhelmed. They're not going to feel safe. And they mm -hmm. need the right feeling in order to create the right business outcome. Let me ask you then, what are the leaders doing wrong that sabotages the opportunity to build this rich culture of safety? Mm. I think, unfortunately, it comes down to us being humans. And there's another psych psychologist I'm going to refer to now who created this, what he calls sort of the three parts of our brain. So he talks about the fact that we have our human brain, mm -hmm. actually the brain where we want to do the rational and the right thing. Uh, then we have the chimp brain. Uh, it's the one led by instincts. We're actually very instinctual beings. We are very led by our immediate emotions about something that are based on instincts we built up to survive over, I don't know how many years it is now. So that's the chimp brain. And then we have the last brain, which calls the computer brain or the computer system. Bad news is that the chimp brain is quite difficult to do anything about because again, instincts are so ingrained within us and we react so emotionally without even thinking about it. Good news is that we can program our, um, our computer system to have values that resonate more with the sort of behavior we want to exemplify. So let's say, for example, Ross, that you're a leader and you know you have a temper. So you know that when you get stressed out because you're getting pressured from someone above you, you tend to act out in anger and take that out on your employees and maybe yell at them. That's your chimp brain reacting because that's just how you are, right? Like you, you just, you've done this for so many years and it's hard to control it. The good news is that the computer system is where we code in our values. I've personally done this. I can get annoyed and get irritated and get mad and be very unreasonable. But what I've coded my brain to believe is that me getting, me stressing someone out, for example, on my team, is not gonna lead me to the results I want to gain. Con on the contrary, it'll probably lead to a bad emotional response, probably release too much cortisol, which by the way, in the end is what leads to burnout, and it'll decrease their performance. So my computer system is coded with values telling my chimp system, don't react, don't lash out. And so I contain myself and I don't do it. And so you're asking me what the problem is. Well, the problem is we're humans. And we have these three systems, but we haven't all learned how to navigate it. And so too many people react instinctively with our chimp brains. And it, that's what causes a lot of burnout. It causes stress. 
and it causes disengagement. So that's one of the big problems that I see. Given that you've had great insights and experience with understanding the power of emotional connection, what can leaders do authentically? If they're the type where they never thought about this before, it was always about let's get the results going and being focused on the bottom line. How do they suddenly shift and adopt that mindset to embrace emotional connection? Hmm. I think it'll obviously differ depending on the person, because when I talk about these things, I think you can hear I'm very passionate about it. And I also revealed in the beginning that I am an emotional person. So it's a big part of who I am. So obviously it's easier for me to sit and say, oh, you just think about people's feelings because that's not how everybody is. And I'm aware of that. So one of the things that I think we should start with is actually to get to know ourselves better. So mm-hmm. for example, I've, I know there's tons of personality tests out there. I don't always think they're necessarily completely correct or will tell you everything about yourself, but taking a personality takes the good thing about it for me is the process and it'll make you reflect more on who you are, what your weaknesses are and what your strengths. So I think self-awareness is a really good place to start. You can also validate things if you are uh, willing to be courageous or vulnerable enough with your team and say, hey, what am I like as a leader? Do you feel comfortable around me? Do you feel energized? Do you feel motivated? I know that's probably some people might think, oh, I would never want to do that. That's overstepping personal boundaries. But if you do it, I guarantee you, you'll probably learn a lot about yourself that you didn't know, especially if you do it anonymized, because maybe not everybody wants to sit out in the open and tell their their boss about um, what they like or dislike about the person. But I really do believe it starts a lot with getting to know yourself better. And then educating yourself on this topic. There's so many great people out there, much better than me, who talk about this at length. So someone like Simon Sinek, um, there's also Stephen Bartlett, really successful people that have created models based on these assumptions to better educate people in organizations to drive better business results. So those are some of the things that I would say, but starting with getting to know yourself better is is our step. It's funny. I wanted to share one of the things that Simon Sinek said that has always resonated with me. He says that leadership has nothing to do with rank. It's about taking care of the people that you're responsible for. So adopting that servant mindset, servant leadership mindset is so important. A big challenge that many people tell me is they don't know how to get feedback. I mean, you can ask for feedback, but not everyone is as responsive. So Josie, just one thing that I wanted to recommend is if you truly want feedback, going to people and and using the word what, not why, what could I be doing more of? What could I be doing to be the kind of leader you're comfortable, uh, manager you're comfortable working with is make it so it's safe for someone to answer the question. Because I know a lot of people, like I'm, they're not going to say something to their boss. They don't want to cause ill will. 
and they may be afraid to tell the truth. So I think yeah, it's exactly. up to the leader to make it safe and say, hey, I, I know that I could be better and I'm looking to you because I respect you and, and I really know that you, you care about me enough yeah. to help me to be the best. I could yeah, be. exactly. And I also think a lot of people have a lot of blind spots. Yep. Right, like worse than having a problem is not knowing you have one. And so a lot of people go through their lives thinking, well, I'm this flawless leader. I'm great. Why do they not feel safe around me? Well, if you have a big team and they don't feel like they can speak up, I'm sorry, it's probably not the fault of 10 people. It might be you that would have to look within. Right. Something that I actually did in the spirit of getting feedback is that I really tried to look at myself and think, what could I be doing better? And one of the things that I realized that I could be doing better. And this is actually through educating myself in the topic is the art of how to actively listen. Cause I always thought, well, I'm a great listener. I always listen to people, what people say, but then I realized there's a big difference between listening with the intent to understand or with the intent to reply. Right. And I think I had, you know, I was a bit on the other side of wanting just to reply to what someone was saying. And I also had a tendency to interrupt. And so I got that um, understanding about myself. And then I went to someone from my team. Her name is Agnes and she's studying psychology. And I said to her, Agnes, I feel like maybe I'm not the best listener always. Maybe I tend to interrupt a little bit. Is this something you're seeing? And honestly, if you are, I do not want you to say no. I want you to be straight with me because you will be doing me a favor by helping me improve and giving me feedback. So to your point, Roz, it's different, right? If you ask for feedback in the way like, so what is what is what am I not doing right? Then of course you're not going to get anything. But if you create a safe space where you talk about the things that you think that maybe you could be doing better. People are much more open to want to share it with you. And so she shared it with me and I've worked on it and it's made a massive difference in how I engage with people since then. I love that. I love that you had the courage to ask for the truth in a way that makes people feel comfortable sharing with you. It's it's not easy for a lot of people. And I know our listeners, some of you will say, well, I tried it, but I didn't get any feedback. And maybe that's a chance to look at how you ask for it. Because people, I don't feel, want to, on purpose, you know, be mean to someone. But if you're asking, you also have to be prepared to receive it. Yeah. And, and I, especially, yeah, and especially don't counter it. Even though it's something you think you're like, that's totally not me. I'm not like that. Just say, okay, thank you so much for the feedback. And then reflect on it. And even if you disagree, still take it in. I actually did this exercise. I, I was doing a presentation yesterday to a room of 70 people here in SAP. And I talk about the aspects of how to be more emotionally intelligent, mm. and the concepts of, of emotional intelligence. And one of the things is self-awareness. So I said to this room of 70 people, I assess my strengths and weaknesses. I do my own SWOT analysis. And then I share it with my team. And then I openly said the same thing out in this room. I said, well, I think that I was a great listener, but I realized maybe I'm not always the best listener. And then I had a person on my team sitting in the off audience and I said, Marta, would you agree or disagree with me? And she said in front of 
70 people. Yeah, Josie, I think sometimes you could be better at listening. And the power of seeing people mm. reaction to Blame someone from my team basically calling me out in front of 70 people was tremendous, tremendous. But I thought it was great because it showed that it doesn't diminish me as a leader. On the contrary, it shows that I can be vulnerable and authentic and courageous enough to expose my flaws in front of everyone and even get the confirmation that it is a flaw, but still be comfortable about it. Or I'm not so much a flaw as something that you weren't aware of yeah, that true. you could work on. And I think letting people know that you appreciate it and you value it. It's just a testimonial to superb leadership and, yeah. and allowing people to feel that they matter. Isn't that the truth that they make a difference? I wanted to move you into, we talked privately about soft skills. And you told me that you don't like the term soft skills. Tell me a little more about that. Yeah. I sort of hate the term soft skills because to me, we've differentiated between hard skills, indicating that they are harder than what we then call soft skills that are just easier. I don't believe this to be true. So I think all skills are difficult. But I do believe that the hard skills can be easier taught because let's say I want, I, for example, personally, I am terrible at numbers, at math. It's not something, a gift I was given in terms of that level of, uh, of or any intelligence in that area. But I do believe that if I sat down today and decided to learn it, I could probably get better at it, right? I could improve on it. But the softer skills, if we talk about being able to create an emotional connection or reading body language or being a good storyteller or whatever the, 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 the term of soft skills cover, it's a lot harder to, to be taught, like to teach it to people. You can, I believe that you can, and I believe you can improve on it, but I don't believe it's easier at all. I mean, we're, we're humans. I mean, you, the, Okay, let's let's look at again from a science lens, right? Decisions are based mostly on emotions. There, there was a there was a scientist who um, who did a study on people whose part of the brain called the amygdala was damaged. Amygdala is the part of the brain where your emotions are created, and what he found was that those people found it very difficult to make decisions. Like they knew they had to get a glass of water, rationally, but because they didn't have an emotional part, they found it hard to connect themselves to the decision. I can give you one last example of one of the, honestly, the best bosses I've ever had. Very, very business-centric person, come from the management consulting world, led massive chunks of SAP's business. He once told me a story where he said that he got in a period of his life, he got really bad people survey results, meaning that people were not happy in the team. And he saw that and he was like, why though? Why am I getting these bad results? And then he dove, he's decided to dive deeper into it and talk to the HR uh, team about it. And they told him why, because people didn't feel safe. And so the performance also started to decrease. And so he started to make a conscious choice and say, okay, well, I need to make people feel safe in that case. So he pretty much changed his leadership style and business results went up. And when he joined the team that I'm at and we had our goodbye 
um, he, he, he's now off leading a really, really big team of, at SAP. He's a great leader. We had our goodbye call. Everybody talked about how he made them feel. And we were the best performing team, one of the best performing teams in our broader organization. And everybody, nobody talked about the business outcome we achieved because we knew we achieved that. We had a slide showing all the numbers and all the stuff we'd done. But everybody talked about how he made each of them feel. Every single person. You make me feel great about myself. You make me feel recognized. You make me feel appreciated. You make me feel safe. And that's what led to the risk business results. To me, being good at your job, that's a hygiene factor. If you're doing social media strategy, you, you, you have to be good at it. You have to get better at it. You have to train yourself. But being good at creating the right feelings as people, that's the next level. And pairing those two, that's what's going to make you and your business successful. You, you bring up a very, very important point, and it's recognition. People, when they feel recognized as well as appreciation. And we don't do enough of that. And Josie, first of all, I so appreciate you giving me your time because I know it's so precious. But being able to, to show appreciation today. And, and I, I do believe Robert Cialdini, he's the father of uh, psychology. He says that people make decisions first based on emotion and justify with logic. So you're really mm. so correct on what you're sharing. And, and it's it's work. It is work. It's to be aware and not just take things for granted. And so you lead a very young team. And I really want to know what's what's the way in which you lead them that inspires them, that provides the psychological safety, yet gets them to be so successful and productive? Big question. Big question. Mm. Yeah, big question. Well, that's another huge topic or passion topic of mine. So like I mentioned before, I have a team and there's about 11 people in the team. And I think the average age is 24. Mm. So very, very young. And I can tell you that these are some of the most capable, smart people I've ever worked with. The business outcome and the value they've created for SAP so far has been unmatched. But what do I do? Well, I do the same thing that I talked about, which is that I look at what are their emotional needs and then I lead with that. And so I'm not sure how many of your listeners are familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs. But it's actually a great framework for better, again, organizing the way that you lead uh, to match the emotional needs of your team members. But Maslow essentially talks about um, the physiological needs, which is sort of the bottom part of the pyramid that you need fulfilled in order to even just function as a human. So I'd hope if you have a corporate job that those needs are automatically fulfilled through your, sal uh, your salary, of course. But then there are the other needs, which is um, the need for safety, right? Do you feel psychologically safe? Can you take chances? Can you innovate? That's something that's incredibly important, especially for young people. Because like we talked about, when is your first job and you don't have that much experience, you're really craving that level of safety. So that's something that I make a conscious effort to ensure that I'm fulfilling that emotional need by really being there for them 
making sure that they understand what they're doing, making myself more of like, yes, I'm still a leader, but I'm also sort of a mentor and a coach and a friend. And that's something that's really important to fulfill that um, emotional need. And then there's also the other, the next level need, which is like the the sense for, or the need of love and belonging. So do you feel loved? Maybe that's a big word to use in a corporate setting, but do you feel like you belong, right? We are, at the end of the day, humans, we're, we're used to, we're tribal people. Right? We thrive on connection. We are pack animals and we need to feel like we belong to something that's bigger than us. And that if the lion comes and we're sleeping in the middle of the night, the pack is there to protect us. It goes back to that basic state of who we are. And so I do a lot to ensure that they feel connected, not just to me, but also to the rest of the people in our team. So for example, we spend a lot of time doing stuff outside of work, but also more importantly, at work, at lunch, for example, today we sat for an hour and we talked about everything about our first jobs and our experience and things that would really let us to have that connection of us having one another, one each other's backs, right? And then there's the other uh, part of Maslow's hierarchy and needs, which is the sense you talked about this, Ross, of recognition, that you feel recognized for what you do and you feel validated. And that's something else that I strive to really ensure that I fulfill. So if they do something and they do it well, I always give them feedback. I tell them that they're doing a good job. And I also give them honest feedback about what can be done better, but in a very emotionally stable and safe environment. And then there's the last part of the pyramid, which I believe is the hardest part uh, to fulfill, which is uh, self-actualization. But I guarantee you, if you as a company can fulfill this need with your people, man, you're going to get people that will outperform all the other businesses. The self-actualization is essentially about whether or not you feel like you're releasing the the full potential that you have. And I think, I don't know, Roz, if you relate to this personally, I, when I feel that way, like, okay, I'm truly doing everything Josephine Monberg is able to do. I feel incredibly motivated and ridiculously inspired. So that is a need that's hard to fulfill, but it's something that I also do with my team, with the young members on my team, where I actually talk to them about what are the things that you're interested in? Where would you like to develop? What are your superpowers? What are you really, really good at that you just come so natural to you, but it's really hard for someone else to do it. Um, And then I help them unleash that. And I give them projects that are related to their superpowers and their ability to release their, um, their full potential. So that's my approach. It's wonderful. It's, it's so impactful. It's inspiring. Just a few more questions because our time is running out, but given the culture that you're talking about creating and the effort and the energy it takes What's the benefit to the customer? I mean, at the, the end of the day, if, for example, you look at SAP and the way we engage with our customers, we are a technology company. We, we sell software, but it's actually so much more than that. It's also selling a strategic partnership. And when you sell strategic partnership, you're essentially also selling trust. And again, like we talked about, trust is impossible to create without human connection. 
And so the benefit to the customer, if you're able to create an emotional connection, is that they feel safe. They feel like they are in good hands and they feel like they have a partner that they can go on a bigger journey with. It becomes a more strategic relationship rather than just transactional. And it creates a lot of avenues for exploration mm -hmm. of innovation because you're willing to take those chances with somebody that you trust. And again, we're companies are, we tend to sometimes look at companies like these black boxes, right? They're not, they're humans. Mm -hmm. Those are the people in the companies. So if you're looking to create great collaboration models, you need to create that emotional connection between people. And then of course, the technology has to be great. But again, that's what we sell. It has to be great. But in order to take it to the next level, you need to also be able to facilitate trust through these emotional connections that'll create a better business outcomes for the customer. That is so well said. I like the idea, just the emotional connection, the relational connection, um, building that trust, which is so fragile, isn't it? You know, people yeah. don't realize you just can't go over to someone and say, you know, I want you to trust me. <laughs> Unfortunately, it doesn't work so well. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It doesn't. Do you have any other words of wisdom before we end this amazing podcast filled with such richness? Thank you so much. Funny enough, I think, so I'm also a host on a show called The Unlocking Value Show. And I actually ask my, the guests on my show the same thing. So what's your, your sort of final piece of advice? And two people so far have said the same thing. And I'm going to say it as well, which is start now. If you haven't done it, I know the culture gets pushed back to take the back seat, even though we say, well, culture eats strategy for breakfast and it's the most important thing in creating business outcome. For some reason, it still isn't the favorite child. It's always left behind. So I'd say take it serious, educate yourself, and then start today. And if you think it's such a big thing that you have to do and you don't even know where to start, then chunk it down. And then at least start with yourself. Like I said, start with the awareness part. What can you do better? Look at empathy, study it, understand what it is. We talk so much about empathy. Well, putting yourself in someone else's shoes. Yeah, that's easier said than done if you actually don't agree or cannot empathize with someone is saying. But using empathy in that situation is the most critical part and the hardest part. Self-regulation. How can you regulate yourself if you have those moments of your chimp brain going crazy and wanting to shout at people or stress someone out? How do you regulate yourself and drive um, your systems with better values? And self-motivation, where's your intrinsic motivation coming from? And how do you think you can induce that into other people? And then the last part, which is your social skills. Be better at reading body language. Be better at having a good body language, being better at having eye contact, stop multitasking in, in calls with people, show respect. It's actually very basic. It's about creating connections with people. And so I'd say start now, educate yourself, practice, and be open and honest about it. And I promise you, you are going to be happier team members are going to be happier. Everyone's brains will function better. You'll create better business outcome. And at the end of the day, there's also a study that shows that one of the 
things that also make us the most happy is giving to other people, showing compassion. And you're essentially doing that through creating emo great emotions in other people. So yes, you will make other people happy, but you will actually also benefit from this and become a happier person. I need to listen to this over and over to self-regulate myself, Josie. <laughs> but, but I agree, like start now, the smallest daily interactions could bring about large and lasting changes and recognizing others for the difference they make, encouraging open, courageous conversations, trusting people to do their best. I feel that everything you've said today will help create an emotional culture that nurtures trust, loyalty, and true happiness. So, so needed in our world today. Josie, it has been such an honor. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, I'm the one thanking you. Thank you so much for having me on, and um, I look forward to following the next episodes. Take care. Bye for now. If you wish to listen to our past episodes or more information on the Asheroff Institute, please visit asheroff.com. I wish you a wonderful rest of your day.